In this edition of Usology, we welcome contributor for SB Nation's Mavs Moneyball and the co-host of The Gunshot, which covers the Dallas Mavericks, Lauren Gunn. Lauren provides great insight regarding what the NBA needs to do in order to fix All-Star Weekend. Then we discuss everything concerning the Dallas Mavericks, including what the future holds after the big trade that recently took place with the Mavericks. This is a great chat, and Lauren provides great insight regarding the future of one of the most underrated teams in the Western Conference of the NBA. Get in touch with the show through Facebook and Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes and email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We are a proud member of the OTG Basketball Network. And now, Lauren Gunn. She is a contributor for SB Nation's Mass Moneyball and a co-host of The Gunshot. We welcome Lauren Gunn onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Lauren? It's going great. Thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, excited to be here, excited to uh, to chat with you guys. And, and God, we have a lot to discuss, don't we? <laughs> we do. And I've been looking for just a reporter, journalist, podcast host that specializes in the Dallas Mavericks because I think they're one of the most unappreciated teams <laughs> in the league. And just in terms of their story, just in terms of Luka, like it's just yeah. – Sometimes I watch Luca on the court, and it's just baffling how he doesn't get enough media coverage. But before we happen to the Dallas Mavericks, we, um, as recording of this podcast, we just got done with All Star Weekend. I just want to get your impressions on your thoughts on Saturday night, a downer, <laughs> most people's opinions, and then mm-hmm. Sunday with Steph Curry's performance. What was your overall thoughts of the entire weekend? You know, uh, it's really tough because I really feel like All-Star Weekend could just use, and I feel like a lot of people share the same sentiment, just a revamp. Like, I just think that there needs to be some, maybe some new ideas. Like, I I don't want to say that it was terrible or that it was, because I mean, I'll be honest, like when Jared Allen and Darius Garland got introduced in Cleveland and they got that just incredible, like, uh applause and and response like that that made me so happy like it just I loved that but apart from that I was like I just didn't really feel like it was over the I was earth wind and fire popping out that was awesome I didn't maybe everybody else knew that they were popping out I did not know that and I don't know if that was announced or not but I thought that was spectacular but apart from that I just I feel like it could use a little bit more. And um, I don't know. I feel like they're starting to go in that direction with the new structure of the quarters and the scoring and all of that. Uh, but I feel like as a whole, there there are a lot of cool things that they could do and they're starting to go in that, th- that direction, but they're not quite there yet. Yeah, I thought the entire weekend was just a downer just in terms of production value. There's a lot of this yeah. like television mistakes, which I'm like, this is TNT. <laughs> like, you can get your act together here. And right. then- just from the structure of the skills competition, the dunk contest. I think I want to ask you, just the, gun ta- the dunk contest itself is kind of a premier event, and there's been all kinds mm-hmm. of different ideas. What's your opinion? Should it be the shelf completely, get outsiders that you know are known for dunking, try to just up the prize money so you can just get like players like John Morant is interested in doing it? Like, What's yeah. kind of your thought? Because the dunk contest is kind of the premier event, but yet it's just kind of like a depressing thing to watch a lot of the years. Yeah, I mean, what's so crazy is that you used to have the premier top of the league players involved in the dunk contest, and it was such a big deal because everybody's eyes were on, and you just you never knew what was going to happen, and there was so much hype around those players just in general. So to get them in the building, no matter what they did, it was just like, oh my god! And so we've kind of strayed away from that, and not to you know not to discredit some of these younger guys that are getting in there because it is it, it is exciting to see some of them get in there. I remember I. 
I don't know if it was last year or the year before that Cassius Stanley got in there. And I really liked Cassius Stanley when he was coming out of Duke when he after he broke Zion's vertical record, because I don't think many people knew that. And I was like, I'm glad that this guy is getting an opportunity to show showcase his athleticism. But unfortunately, I think for the most viewers, it's kind of like, I don't really care. Like I and and not to knock Cassius or maybe any of these other guys, but I just I think it's straight away from what it used to be in terms of the flashiness, the style, like these just these top of the league players. And so I like the dunk contest. I don't think it should go, but there is also this this whole, well, I also don't want to get injured if I'm working on these dunks or I don't want to, you know, I'm going to try to put myself first and my team first before I think about holding up the slam dunk contest. Some guys just don't care about that. And so I don't know what they do, like you said, to maybe uh, increase the price or, or, or whatever they can do to try and get these people incentivized to come back. But I think trying to go back towards that is probably the best thing that they could do and maybe not let your teams, like one of your team, one of your franchise's all-time greats judge a current player from your team. I think that that is, uh, I don't think that that should be allowed to happen again. Lauren, do you think there's any responsibility or kind of burden on the players to kind of take All-Star Weekend up to that next level? You know, like mentioning, you know, not getting maybe always marquee players in the dunk contest. I mean, what, what exactly can be done and, and should it be something that the players are responsible for bringing up? You know, it's an interesting question. Personally, I don't feel like there's any responsibility on them. That's just my personal opinion. I think it's kind of on the league to say, hey, this is yeah. our event. This is our, you know, you should want to, maybe you should want to. But at the end of the day, we're in an age where sports science and there's so much going into injury prevention and just resting these guys. And these guys are putting themselves first. And I think that that's fair and warranted. Um, but the league at the end of the day, their job, one of their jobs is to make as much revenue as possible. And you're not doing that. If you have second round picks out there and first well, young guys, not, not the John Morant's, not the Zach Levine's out there. Um, and so I think it kind of falls on them. And so the, I, I feel like maybe not everybody will agree with that, but in my opinion, if it's, you know, if it's your event, you gotta, you gotta find a way to get the most people watching, get the best people involved. And it's just like any other business, you know, it's like, it's like going to the Super Bowl when, or it's like with the Super Bowl, who are we going to do for our halftime show? Who is going to be the most engaging, exciting, who's everybody going to look forward to seeing? And if, you know, you're getting potentially like a band off of the street that maybe no one has heard of, like, that's kind of how I would compare it. Like, I feel like that. Okay. Let me not say that. Cause I feel like that's, that's degrading, but I just feel like you've got to maximize that when you're putting on an event. And so I don't know. I don't know what they can do to control that. I think maybe they're still trying to work that out and maybe it is a sort of meet in the middle, some somewhere down the line. I don't know. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, same, same sort of discussion. I mean, what role do you think social media has played in all this? I mean, do you think it's more of a help or a hindrance when it comes to all-star weekend? God, that is also a great question. Um, I want to say it's hard because from different perspectives, I think from the, I, in a way, I think there could be an argument that it hinders it because mm -hmm. for example, um, I remember, oh God, what day was it? It might've been like Friday or something. John Morant did his first Instagram live where he was hopping on the plane to go to Cleveland. And I was watching, and I was so entertained by that. And like, I saw him there. I saw him like at the, at the all-star game. Like I saw him around and like, I got my John Morant fix, but like, 
what about the dunk contest? You know what I mean? Like those are where a lot mm. of people who maybe haven't seen him are going like, that's your opportunity to see him in that capacity. But I feel like I got from him alone and from so many others, I got so many all-star weekend content already that maybe it does hinder it in a way, but that's not something that anybody's ever going to be able to control. So again, ultimately I think it will fall onto the league to find find a way to really incentivize these guys to, or maybe they put pressure on, you know, front offices and management to say, Hey, you should have some real contract incentives to be involved Mm. or top two in the dunk contest or something like that, which again, that's really niche with really specific kinds of players. So I don't know how you do something like that, but I think it ultimately will go back to the league to try and get this back in the place that it, it should be because I also feel like a lot of people look at like a, a couple of my 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 friends that do podcasts and, and all this stuff. Um, I was kind of asking them, you know, what are, what are you doing this weekend or, or whatever? And they're like, I'm taking the weekend off. Like, it's kind of just like a non-event. I don't really feel like I need to be doing like by the minute, by the hour, all-star coverage. Like, I feel like for a lot of people, it's just time off. And that is crazy to think about. You mentioned there being, you know, more potentially – uh, that you see um, ideas they could try out for All-Star Weekend. I, I'm curious to uh, just ask what some of those ideas would be. And then also on the other side, could it be a better experience for everyone too to scale back and like have simplicity be the key? You know, like Saturday night is three-point contest, dunk contest, and we're going to have awesome entertainment, awesome music, you know, yeah. maybe- some comedy or, or like something yeah. like that. Um, so I, I'm curious to pick your brain on ideas for that. And then mm-hmm. also if, if less could potentially be more. Yeah. I like the less, I less is more idea. I think there's definitely something there personally. I think the skills challenge has got to go. I think the only entertaining as part of that is the half court shot. And honestly, I didn't even Agreed. watch it this year. If so, I don't even know if that still happened because I just, I don't really care for it. And so that to me has got to go. I'm a fan of the three-point contest and I'm a fan of the dunk contest and the all-star game, the rising stars game. Yeah. I don't know that I'm like, like I, for me, if there's a young player in the league that I want to watch, I'm going to go watch him. I don't need a rising stars game to watch. So that's kind of how I feel. Something that I would really like to see them do. And I don't know that they could do it, you know, next year or the year after that, but incorporate these, um, the NBA Africa league or, or some of these other leagues around the world, because the NBA is so focused on expanding globally and, and incorporating just more and more people and, and, and expanding and, and allowing like more for more audience. And so I think somehow incorporating, getting some of these guys to come over, obviously, you know, we're still in a, a very uncertain time right now, uh, with the pandemic, but maybe if, if things kind of stabilize in the long-term future maybe there there uh provides to be an opportunity where you can bring all these guys together and then that is a massive stage for some of these guys who are working their tails off over in any of the other nba leagues to try and get to this next level yeah that's a great idea and it's a great commercial for the nba expanding globally so Mm -hmm. i think that's a wonderful idea um let's shift gears to the dallas mavericks and let's discuss just your overall thoughts on where they currently stand they're 35 and 24 within the western conference fifth place what are your impressions of the season so far Mm -hmm. um have they exceeded or have they let you down in terms of when you first when we first were entering the season in terms of how this team's performed so far yeah so in terms of record i'd say they're probably like where a lot of mavs people expected them to be like i think with luca 
everybody was like, okay, this team is at least 45. Some people are like at least 50 wins easy with how good Luca is. And that's, you know, that's just some people's opinion. I'm kind of somewhere between maybe like the 48 mark. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think in terms of record and success, you know, they've, they had a tough win road win in, in Miami just a couple of days ago, but then they dropped to the week before at home against back to back against OKC in Orlando. So like, if there's anything that I've learned watching the Mavericks in recent history, sometimes they'll surprise you good or bad, and you just got to roll with it. But overall, just like any other team, you got to step back and take the bigger sample size and kind of see what they can do. So when it comes to record success so far, I've been kind of, okay, this is what I expected, but it's the defense that has really surprised me because they're fifth in the league in defense right now. And that was, we were expecting an improvement just based on Coach Kidd and what he was saying that he was really trying to prioritize and understanding what Rick prioritized in the in the last system. So I think a lot of people are like, okay, we can expect to have like a slight improvement, but to be fifth is like, and I, I don't know how if that will be sustainable given the the changes that we have just <laughs> decided to do. Um, but yeah, just just the defense is overall is is different. And like Luca, one thing that I don't think a lot of people, it's not that the, people don't realize it, but it's not that. It's sometimes if people don't watch, they think Luca, they just assume he's this liability, he's you know, this out of shape, just disaster on defense. And that is not the case. He's he's actually kind of similar to Dirk and not, not that Dirk was an elite defender by any means, but Dirk had a, had a good knack for where the ball was going to be to reach his hand there and get a couple of uh, kind of just easy steals. Uh, and Luca kind of has that same little uh, aspect to his defensive game. And so he has like the mentality. I just, his leadership on the defensive end, along with some of these other guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, Maxi Cleve, like there are, they're all taking so much pride defensively as a team. And so seeing them not just individually, but as a team kind of step up to the plate has been amazing because it's not like these individual guys are, have just become elite defenders. It's the fact that the communication is there, the continuity is there, and they're kind of bridging the gaps and limiting those mistakes. And so the, for me, it's been the defense and low turnovers uh, all year have been definitely the the biggest things for me. So I want to ask you, Lauren, and this mm-hmm. is something that you follow this team all the time. So I do. A lot of, I guess, casual fans, I don't think they understand kind of the dynamic with Luca and Christoph Przingis. And I was, I want to, before the trade happened, can you kind of mm-hmm. just take us into their relationship? Yeah. Why didn't they get along? Because I would think when he got traded, I would think their games complemented each other. And I just thought mm-hmm. they would have that common bond, but it seems like it was oil and water. So I just want to get your thoughts as to what went wrong, what mm-hmm. could have been, I guess, tools to prevent <laughs> the ultimate, I guess, negative for Przingis to be ultimately traded. Like, right. kind of walk us through kind of beginning to end what really soured these two and ultimately led to Przingis being traded. Yeah, so it is a crazy kind of roller coaster ride. When he first got traded, you know, everybody was pumped. Everyone was like, oh, the Mavs fleeced the Knicks, whatever. But everyone was so excited in Dallas about pairing Luka so early with someone who had shown such, you know, high, a high ceiling. And so there was a lot of excitement, but there was also a lot of pressure. And not that that is any sort of, you know, rationalization or excuse or anything like that. But as time went on, it was like, okay, we got to, this team has to be, they have to be performing at a high level. They have to be able to make it to the playoffs and get further and further. And as time got, went on, it seemed like the Rick Porzingis, Luca 
leadership, like, and it was Rick at the top. It was always Rick at the top, but it just didn't seem like there was communication or camaraderie. And it was awkward sometimes and because it got to a point where people were celebrating on Twitter if they even saw Luca and Porzingis high five. And it wasn't that they didn't, it, <laughs> isn't that crazy? It wasn't yeah. that they didn't like each other. It was because they both, they both, and I, I believe this a hundred percent, especially since this season getting to see, be around them a, a more so than ever in the past. Um, they both just want to win. They're both friendly guys. They both just want to win. That's it. And so last year and even kind of going into the year before that with Carlisle, it was very clear that he was given a specific role and he was asked to do specific things and more so asked to not do other things. And so he, he did it and he did it and he just kind of put his head down and did the work, but he was, what he was being asked to do was just stand, stand in the corner. Don't post up like, don't be creative New York Porzingis. Don't be like, we need you to be this. And so, because they want to, I, I guess they wanted to maximize spacing efficiency and they didn't feel like him in the post was efficient. And so over time, he kind of like, you take a guy out of the game that they're used to playing and they just, you got to do something with that. And sometimes it's not so easy to just all of a sudden re-identify and have a completely new game. And so with Porzingis, I don't think it was as much, him not liking Luca as it was him getting this more building up more and more resentment for Rick Carlisle and the system that showcased Luca. And so over time, Porzingis, you know, that, that kind of sours, you see him getting disengaged on defense. And again, you come back to Luca, Luca just wants to win. He wants everybody on all the time. And if you're disengaged, not there because, and, and granted everything that he was dealing with, mentally as a result of you know having to play in this system where you are just asked to stay on the side and kind of take a bet like not just a back seat but a way in the back I'm like third row back seat and but also be expected to magically put up 20 and 10 when you're not even given like the looks like it was it was kind of madness to watch and so he becomes disengaged I don't blame him for that I've seen that a million times and so over time then he's disengaged on defense the defense starts to lack Luca gets angry because he's like, what are we doing? Who's, who's in charge here? And then all of a sudden there becomes this resentment between Luca and Rick. And it's very, it becomes very clear that they are just, they're certainly not Monty Williams and Chris Paul, because if you, there were, I can't tell you how many times I've told people that last year in the finals, when I would see Chris Paul and Monty Williams and they would be hugging and laughing and crying at times. And just, there was such a bond there. It was like, that was never the case in Dallas with Luca and Rick. Dirk and Rick, different story. Luca and Rick, it just wasn't there. And so you kind of ultimately over time, like a lot of the blame was on Porzingis for a little while, but then light, more and more light started to get shed on the situation after Carlisle left. And it became very apparent that a lot of that, in my opinion, kind of went on him. And so it's kind of been an interesting thing to watch, especially since he's left and the relationship between Luca and Porzingis this season up until, you know, the trade. So I don't think the trade had anything to do with them not liking each other. I think the trade was more about fear of not if he will get re-injured, but when he will get re-injured. And then also that financial flexibility, being able to try and at least move smaller pieces to do whatever you can to bring in somebody else to really shuffle the, the deck. Um, so I don't think there's any bad blood between Luca and Porzingis. I, I could not say enough 
good things about Porzingis. He is super nice, a super good dude. Um, and so I just, I don't, that's, that's my take on it. I feel like not everybody's gonna have the same thing, but I don't think there's bad blood there. I'm excited to see what he does in Washington. And I think the key for him long-term will continue to just be, um, put him in a position and we saw it this season where he's just, he feels empowered and like, he's a part of your offense. Maybe he doesn't have to be the premier, the key piece, but if you are putting him in a position to be successful, he will be successful. And so it's just, I also like, I I think another big problem is that big men are slapped with the term injury prone when that's just, they're, they're seven feet tall, you know, like they're, they're going to get injured. And so I, to me, it's more about um, what is it like just, controlling as many situations and limiting bad situations that they're being put in. And so I think that that will kind of be a key for, for Washington uh, in terms of injury prevention with Porzingis, but I'm excited for him. Thank you for running us through that. Yeah. That I, I'm awesome. sorry. That was a long winded answer. Situation. No, no, no. no, no, no. I appreciate it. We appreciate it. I have to ask uh, concerning that trade, you know, mm-hmm. now that they've, they've moved on, mm-hmm. um, with Dinwiddie and Berton coming to the team, do you see either of those pieces as long-term mainstays on the team? Is that kind of what we're going to see this next half of the season? And was your reaction and, and local reaction to the trade? Yeah, that, oh man, that's a good question. Um, so first reaction, um, I was floored because that morning mm. it got reported that Porzingis was there was a conversation with Toronto for a Porzingis package I'm not sure if you guys saw it because it was very brief and then it was just like we're moving on because it was trade deadline day so it was chaos it was very brief Jake Fisher reported that there was a com- a very loose conversation between Toronto and Dallas surrounding Goran Dragic and when I saw that I was like oh my god this is it and I was thrilled about that it was a, a Porzingis talk and I was I was thrilled about that because I was like Goron is on, he'll be the main contract in there and he's on an expiring deal. And I would assume that he would resign in Dallas on a way lesser dollar amount. And so I was, I felt like that was an opportunity for us to get off of the uh, Porzingis contract. And at that time, the only contracts that they had that would have made it work were Chris Boucher slash Kim Birch and Precious Achua. So it would have been a a package of those three. And right. I was yeah. thrilled with that because I <laughs> love Precious Achiawa. And I was like, this is a great opportunity. I honestly think it's a good opportunity for Toronto if they're okay with the financial implications of it because they have nothing to lose. Like if Porzingis doesn't work out for them, which you've got Pascal who does everything. And so if you put him in the front court with Porzingis, I don't hate that experiment. And if it doesn't work, well, then you just move on and you still have your great young core. Um, so I didn't hate that for either side. And I was hoping that that would happen. But then the the first thing that gets announced is Spencer to Dallas. And I was like, not totally surprised by that because Dallas showed interest in the summer and it just didn't happen. But then very quickly followed up by a tweet that says the Mavericks are sending Chris Steps Porzingis to Washington. And I, in that moment, was incredibly like, actually my, I, my response, and I can't even, I can't even believe that this was my response, but I was like, oh my God. And I kind of like started laughing. Like, is this really happening? I was so in shock. (laughs) And then I was like, I was actually recording a live podcast at the time to do reactions. And I was like, we better be getting Denny, Denny or Gafford or somebody young, because I swear to God, if we just sent Porzingis just to move off of it, I'm going to be livid. (laughs) And not only, and then, and then I get the tweet that says, 
Dallas is getting Davis Bertans as a part of this. <laughs> and I, and I, that actually, that was when I said, we better be getting, um, we better be getting one of their young guys. I didn't, I did say Rui, which looking back is ridiculous. We would have never gotten Rui in that deal, but I was like, at least get somebody young because you're not just a, like, I understand Porzingis' contract is not great, but he's almost at the end of it, which is crazy. He's putting up good numbers and the Spencer Dinwiddie contract, there was rumors that that was a bad situation. And the Davis Bertans contract is arguably worse than Porzingis's. So yeah. how do you not take back a young guy or a future pick way down the line or two second round picks or something? And so I was very disappointed as were a lot of Mavs fans. Um, but we also were like, okay, got to kind of take a step back. And I, I still believe like, you know, you're taking back significant contracts. So moving off of the Porzingis contract, like, I don't know that that was necessary. Like right now, I can't say with 100% certainty that that was a good financial move. And so I think other people disagree and that's fine. But right now with, I think it's going to be difficult to get off of the Bertans contract down the line. And so you're going to have to ride that one out. I, that's just what I think. And he's already like, it's very clear what his role is. And like, I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it. If Mark wants to pay the luxury tax, not my money. And so Bertans, like he does provide floor spacing when they are as a team having a down year shooting. So I'm okay with that. And Dinwiddie, with Dinwiddie, I like where he is because there's not an expectation that he has to be this starter 16 point per game off ball guy next to Luca. He's coming in off of the bench behind, behind Luca and Jalen Brunson. And he comes in and like he carries the second unit with one of Luca or Jalen Brunson. So having two of those three on the floor at all times is working so far. And personally, I'm a fan. And so because before it was you have Luca and Brunson and then you have Trey Burke come in. And that's there's a big difference between Trey Burke and, and Spencer Dinwiddie. And so I like having Spencer in there. And, and now that Porzingis is not there, we don't really have like a a true five. Like we do have true fives, but they're not like they're not seven feet tall and they're not, it's just not. Uh. So like right now we have these very versatile lineups. And so I like that. Like Josh green is a guy who's really kind of having a much better year under coach kid since he's getting more of an opportunity and they're playing him in like a, from time to time and like a Terrence man, Bruce Brown type role. And I love that because he just plays so hard. And so he's going to go in there and get the rebounds. You just have to tell him to do it. No, go do it. And so I like the versatility that I'm starting to see this group have, before like pre-Porzingis trade. And so I'm waiting to see more of a Dorian Finney-Smith at the five lineup. Like I think they have the option to play small, which they haven't had in the past. And so I think that will help them in terms of, I don't want to say getting played off the floor in the playoffs, but in the past, it was very much like, if we get this team, if we get this matchup, it's not looking good or it's a big uphill battle. But it, excuse me, but if we get this matchup, it looks great. But now I think they're kind of like, Luca's that good. We have a lot of depth at the guard position and our rotation can just get real small if you are that bad of much of a defensive liability come playoff time. And so I think that they have more rotational flexibility and I think that they like that. But now I feel like they have a lot of challenges moving forward to really add that next piece. And I mean, like it is, it is going to be a big challenge. And that is why I wasn't a huge fan of the trade. But now, now I'm one of those people that's like, 
okay, trade happened. There's no point in dwelling on it. Where are we at now? What happens moving forward? And what can you do with that? And so they have their first round pick this year. I'm excited to see what they do with that. But I would anticipate kind of down the line, similar to what Phoenix did to get Devin Booker, his, his you know, people to run with. I would expect, well, I'm not going to compare this. Never mind. Scratch that. I don't even compare the situations. But I anticipate a, a Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith, like this, whatever this coming first round pick plus future picks to try and get somebody in the door. Uh, but again, it's not going to happen until down the line. And so to me, they just pushed things out. They lowered, they raised their floor, lowered their ceiling is what I'm looking at right now. Gotcha. Do you have any sense of Luca's reaction to the trade? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that trade doesn't happen without him signing off on it. Uh, it's, it's pretty much standard operating procedure with your franchise player around the league, right. but any, any sense to how he felt about that? Um, if I, I mean, my, so I was at the, I was at the game the day he got traded and I was like, Oh, how's this going to go? Cause they played who they play Thursday. It doesn't even matter. Um, maybe Detroit or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But um, I was going to that game. I was like, this is going to be weird. And Luca went off for, Oh, it was the Clippers. And he went off for um, like 50, 50 plus. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And that, yeah. It, that was that night. And so a lot of people of course were making jokes up in the media box like oh yeah we were just waiting to make this trade and to, for him to get a 50 ball like stuff like that just like joking around <laughs> just like any random people saying that but um but i don't think the thing with luca is like he really just does want to win like i don't think he's the type of guy that has bad blood like he always gets into it with terrence man every single time the clippers play they are jawing 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 but like luca's not the type of guy that's going to hold a grudge he's just a goofball and so the second they get off the court and even when they got off the court terrence mann was asked about the beef and he was like you know we always jaw but at the end of the day it's just on the court we have the same agent like it's just basketball and so i really do think that that's how luca looks at it as well he just he's going to compete he's going to talk a lot of crap he's going to complain a lot to the refs but it's because he just wants to win and he wants every advantage that he can and so um, when it comes to moving on from Porzingis, I don't think he was like, finally, or thank God. I think he just is like, all right, who do I got to work with now? Okay, let's go. Let's do it. Like he's so just so focused on winning. That's it. Um, Laura, last question for you. Um, you mentioned about basically the trade with Porzingis that um, they raised their floor, but lowered their ceiling. In mm-hmm. terms of Luca, we've seen a lot of these superstar players really, I think, get impatient with the team that drafted him. So I just want to ask you, when is, what's kind of the end game here? What do you see in terms of his patience in terms of the Mavericks, you know, meeting his expectations in terms of winning, in terms of being a championship contender to where – you know, if things are not going that way, if they're getting bounced in the playoffs in the first, second round, do you see his patience running out and, you know, demanding a trade someday? Or do you think he's really committed to the franchise? Like, where do you see his loyalty going the Damian Little route? Or do you see it going more <laughs> route that, you know, if things don't change, you're going to hear some rumblings about, hey, you may make some moves or else. Yeah, you know, it's it's the day and age that we're in. I don't think you can be so naive to say Luca is the next Dirk. He's here to stay. I just don't think you can say that anymore. Um, I do still think that there are those Damian Lillards out there and the Giannis, well, we'll see on that one. <laughs> but the, the guys that want to stay, um, I think they're still out there. Not saying that Luca isn't one of those guys or can't be one of those guys. But pre-Porzingis trade, it was like, I see a path. I can see a path the gaps to fill, the needs that they need to address. And Luca is that good. Maybe they can get there. Now, don't see the path. I The path, they have so many challenges in terms of 
luxury tax that's going to be paid, bad contracts to move, no draft assets to work with. So it's you're gonna you're gonna have to bank on these relationships that he's building at All Star Weekend and has had you know in the past. And again, that's why they brought in Kid. That's why they brought in Luke or uh, Nico. They brought them in because of their relationships and to surround him with talent. So you know that's whatever. But it hasn't happened yet. So until it's happened, it hasn't happened, kind of thing. So right now, I don't see the path, and they need to communicate with Luca what the vision is, who their targets are, and what their short-term plans are and long-term plans are to try and really get him where he needs to go. And he needs to be on board with it. And again, I've said it a million times, he just wants to win. So if they're all communicating and there is a reasonable path, I think everybody's going to be fine for the time being. But in Dallas, it does feel like the clock is already ticking. And so when you make a move like this, that before you had your number two, Granted, some people might be like, he's not good enough to be a number two. That's it does, whatever. He was either your number two or number three. Now you don't even have that. And so, again, it's a really difficult path to now find yourself on. And they are going to have to get really crafty. And so I just, I'm nervous about that because I I, I don't think I've ever not seen a path for, for any team. I feel like for any team, I'm like, like, it's rare that you can't see a path. You know what I mean? Especially when you've got someone like Luca. And so they're going to need to have a lot of things go their way if they want this to pan out the way they want it to. Lauren, we appreciate you coming out to the show. Please let our audience know where they can find you on social media, where they can find your podcast, and then any, else, any other things you're working on with the Mavericks coverage. Yeah, well, first, thank you guys so much for having me. This was super fun. Uh, awesome questions that you guys had. I love this. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Lauren Gunn with two N's. Uh, I do cover the Mavericks uh, and write for Mavs Moneyball. Um, and all my, like you said before, all my podcasts that I do with my brother, Grant Gunn, uh, the gunshot, well, our links will drop through there. But I do love talking about any team, the NBA as a whole, anything. So if you want to come talk hoops, you got any trade scenarios, Whatever you've got, I am always looking to talk to more people. So, uh, yeah, thanks thanks again, guys, for having me. Awesome, Lauren. Thanks for your time. Truly appreciate it. Absolutely.